Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. 1 Timothy 4.16 Welcome to Canaan Podcast, a podcast designed to offer the Christian rest during life's journey. Canaan Podcast features devotional segments by pastors serving in the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, The Wells, along with church history, mission news, and music by various Christian artists who support our teaching. I'm Tom Barthel. This is episode number 83. Holy Scripture is of vital importance. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. It is dangerous to stop caring about what the Bible teaches. If you say, that part of the Bible is not important, then you or your friends will eventually decide that any part of Scripture which they don't want can go. If you think, I know the Bible says doing what I'm doing is wrong, but it's not that important to stop, then you will eventually destroy your faith. And those around you will see you dishonoring God. Because you show that you don't care, others will not want to learn the Bible. That is one reason why we are told to closely look at what God teaches us. We need to carefully dig into the Bible for the answers on what is true. And we must also carefully make sure we live according to that truth. Every teaching matters. In doctrine and in how we carry it out, how we practice it in our life. The main reason we want to care about what the Bible teaches is because it is the source of saving truth. We learn about our sin and our Savior God. We learn about our free new life in heaven and the new life we live now on earth. Then, without contradicting what God says, we can share the important teaching about God's plan of salvation. Lord, help us to daily stay strong in the truth of your word and to live according to your will. Through us, bring others to hear that word so that they can join us sharing in your salvation. Amen. Next, we have the Branches Band sharing God's Word is Our Great Heritage. God's Word is our great heritage and shall be ours forever to spread its light from age to God's word is
continue in the book of Job with God's Word for You, shared by Pastor Timothy Smith. God's Word for You, Job 27, verses 11. Uh, we'll go down to 23. I will teach you about the power of God, the ways of the Almighty I will not conceal. You have all seen this yourselves. Why then this meaningless talk? Job, do you see this? Job now turns the speeches of his friends on themselves. He uses the same kind of language they used, but he shows them that their arguments could equally apply to them. For most people, that turnabout wouldn't be an appropriate response to an accusation of sin. You know, hey, what about you? But we know that Job is not suffering because of a certain sin, and we have seen that the arguments of Job's friends, they didn't hit the mark. Most of it was just meaningless talk. Let's go to verse 13 and following. Here is the fate God allots to the wicked, the heritage a ruthless man receives from the Almighty. However many his children, their fate is the sword. His offspring will never have enough to eat. The plague will bury those who survive him, and their widows will not weep for them. Though he heaps up silver like dust and clothes like piles of clay, what he lays up the righteous will wear, and the innocent will divide his silver. The passage that sometimes confuses readers here is the second half of verse 15. The whole verse in Hebrew runs more literally this way. His, his survival, his survivors will be buried by mavet or death, and his widows will not weep. It's possible that the plural for widows refers to the wives of, of the one wicked man being described, and, and like the wicked Lamech. He was a polygamist back in Genesis 4. But here, widows could simply imply that the widows that death always leaves in its wake are, are the ones who are left behind. That there's no, not, and there's so much death being depicted here that all of the widows will no longer mourn or will not mourn with each other or something like that. This passage is an illustration of Jesus' parable of the rich fool. Remember, God said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Go back and read the rich fool. It's in Luke chapter 12. Verse 18. The house he builds is like a moth's cocoon, like a hut made by a watchman. He lies down wealthy, but will soon do no more, or but will do soon, uh, do, will do so no more. When he opens his eyes, all is gone. The cocoon of the moth and the watchman's hut are both temporary, right? They're both fragile. The watchman's hut is, I don't know, like a duck blind. The hunter uses a couple branches or maybe more than that to conceal himself. And, and, and But he really just wants to keep out the weather and, and to hide himself. If he moves even a little bit, it'll come crashing down. And neither the cocoon nor that kind of a hut can really be used twice. A wicked man's wealth won't do him any good in eternity any more than his good deeds or, or what he thought were his good deeds. Uh, they, won't, they won't do him any good at all. When famous Hollywood stars die, people in our country mourn for them like widows in the Bible. We see their faces scrolling across the screen and, and sad, somber, beautiful music and even clouds in the background of the screen kind of moving on as if they're and then and, and people weep as if they're being paled to wail in just the right way, because if they don't, what will the neighbors think if you don't cry for this person? But people should truly mourn if such a person didn't know their Savior. 
or if their lives seemed like a mockery of God's will with a long line of, you know, divorces and marriages, like a woman who was in love with being a bride but who never really wanted to be a wife. Verse 20 and following. Terrors overtake him like a flood. A tempest snatches him away in the night. The east wind carries him off and he's gone. It sweeps him out of his, out of his place. It hurls itself against him without mercy as he flees headlong from its power. It claps its hands in derision and hisses him out of his place. It shouldn't surprise us that when Job comes close to saying in in 42 chapters, Jesus can pierce with a single phrase. This is how it will be, Jesus said in Luke 12. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Job's children were lost in a storm, but Job is talking about the storm of God's judgment from which no one can hide. The only shelter from that storm is in the shelter of God himself. Job may have complained that God had sent his pain, but Job only looks to God for help because our souls find rest in God alone. Our salvation depends on him. Once again, a storm alert. Job sees the approaching storm as the work of God's judgment, the unbridled power of the storm attacking with all of its power, clapping its thunder, hissing with its, I suppose, hail and rain. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's word for you. Moment with the Master is shared by Pastor Aaron Nitz. The moment with our Master for today comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 4, verse 15. Um, There we read, But the Lord said to him, that's Cain, Not so, if anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. What do you have reminders for? Medications? Meetings? Special dates? We humans need reminders, don't we? We need reminders because it's so easy to forget important things in life. God showed an out-of-the-ordinary love to Cain here again and again and again. But unfortunately, again and again and again, in unbelief, Cain turned away from God's gracious dealings with him. Even at the end, when, when Cain was worried about his personal safety after killing his brother Abel, God, God reached out to him again in grace. How so? God put a mark on him or, or gave him some sign that, Hebrew word that's used there can mean either, and he did so to assure him that God would keep his promise to protect Cain. What grace! Not only was Cain's time of grace to come to repentance spared, but again and again he'd have a reminder of God's graciousness in sparing him and not treating him as his sins deserved every time he he recalled that mark or sign. What reminders of God's love has he given to you? How about this one? Remember these? Remember where we hear these words? Receive the sign of the cross on the head and on the heart to mark you as a redeemed child of Christ. In your baptism, God put his name on you, connected you with Christ, made you his very own live this week as someone who's been marked by the grace 
of God. I'm treasuring those reminders of God's grace, just like you. God bless and keep you, this day and always. We return to the book of Job once more for God's Word for You. God's Word for You, Job 28, verses 1 to 11. Recall that in chapter 27, we ended the conversation between Job and his friends. The argument that they had is now over. Chapter 28 is a wisdom poem. And the new uh, NIV translation from 2011 does, I think, does us a favor by including uh, the title here, Where Wisdom is Found. The poem is detached in its emotional state, as if Job kind of got up and took a walk, taking or talking rather to whoever would listen. It's a calm view of wisdom. Job is saying, well, where are we? And he says this twice, actually, in verse 12 and verse 20, and it divides the poem into three parts, or as uh, I suggested at the beginning of these uh, devotions, we have here this, this familiar threefold division of strophe, antistrophe, and a concluding epody. So a sort of statement, a counterstatement, and then a conclusion drawn from those things. In this first part, Job shows that mankind has not yet discovered true wisdom. And the third part will show us that true wisdom is found in God alone. Let's begin reading. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Mortals put an end to the darkness. They search out the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from human dwellings, they cut a shaft. In places untouched by human feet, far from other people, they dangle and sway. The earth from which food comes is transformed below as by fire. Lapis lazuli comes from its rocks, and its dust contains nuggets of gold. We'll stop there at verse 6. Archaeologists guess that the Iron Age began in Canaan around 1200 B.C., about seven or 800 years after Job's time. Of course, that only means that the widespread use of iron began then. Obviously, Job knew about iron and copper, too. This passage is one of the most interesting descriptions of mining in all of ancient literature. The image of the miner on a rope beginning to dangle and sway in the cold darkness is enough to give anybody the jitters. The dirt normally producing a harvest of golden grain yields gold itself and other precious things. The word translated lapis lazuli here is sapphire, from which our word sapphire comes. Job began by mentioning gold, and the word appears again in verse 6, giving us quite a list of discoveries in that cold, dark mine, silver, gold, iron, copper, different kinds of ore, lapis lazuli or sapphires, and gold nuggets. What discoveries! And only man has found them, not any other creature. But let's continue with verse 7 and following. No bird of prey knows that hidden path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts do not set foot on it, and no lion prowls there. People assault the flinty rock with their hands and lay bare the roots of the mountains. They tunnel through the rock. Their eyes see all its treasures. They search the sources of the rivers and bring hidden things to light. The point that Job makes is that mankind has undertaken hard and difficult even dangerous searches for precious things and valuable things. Has our search for godly wisdom been as thorough? Do we examine our lives laying bare the roots of our sins? 
Do we tunnel through the tough rock of our old Adam? And do we recognize each of God's beautiful treasures, even the ones that don't glitter in the torchlight? The source of the river of life is God himself. He tells us that in Revelation 22 and again in Psalm 46, he is the only one who truly brings hidden things to light. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul said, Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Maybe you feel unfulfilled because something you have done out of love for God has gone unnoticed or because no one has said anything about it or or they even misunderstood what you tried to do. But God knows. God noticed. The moment will come when God will bring out what you did before all creation. He will praise what you have done out of your faith for him and you'll be surprised that he even mentioned it. But keep on treasuring his beautiful gifts wherever they are in life, beginning with the forgiveness that came through his Son, Jesus Christ. And in him, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's Word for you. And today we'll close with another song shared by Branches Band, The Law of the Lord. This is from a new album released by the Branches Band, a city of children's music, Let the Children Come to Me.
You've been listening to episode 83 of Kanenbaum Podcast. This episode was first shared in October of 2014. Visit kanenbaumpodcast.com to learn how you can support the artist featured on this podcast. Find links to their website. Branches Band also has sheet music and other materials available on their website. Once again, my name is Tom Barthel. Glad to be serving as your host for this episode. We encourage you to visit a Wells Ministry location nearest you. Visit wells.net. Thanks for joining us.